Hi everyone and welcome to another episode of Unmuted by Big Karma, the podcast in which insiders from different entertainment industries reveal their secret sauce about how the stuff we love is made. Big Karma itself produces a video game starring kick-ass action heroes who leverage their visibility to win. And you can find out more about that, join our community or pay for our next cup of coffee on patreon.com slash bigkarma. My great guest today, we're going to talk a lot about the hyper growth years of Angry Birds. We're going to talk about launching a game from space. We're going to talk then about the metaverse. Maybe that's the next frontier of space and about stealth learning, which you all know is close to our heart here as bigkarma and fundamental to what we do. Maria Continent. Thank you so much for being with me. Kitos, as you say in <laughs> Finnish. How you been, Maria? Thanks. I've been great, Pascal. So really nice to see you. It's been a while since we've yeah. talked. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm wearing my Big Bang Legends washed up t-shirt in your honor. <laughs> Because that's I'm the glad. time we worked together, albeit briefly. Exactly. Yeah. I still have the tote bag as well. I'm using that. Oh, I, I still, my, my daughter, my 16-year-old, still have it too, but it's no longer lighting up in the dark so much as it used to. <laughs> but it was such a cool touch. It took me a month to discover that the tote bag was uh, lighting in the dark, would, would you believe it or not? Uh, you know why we did that? Because we did it for Slush. And, you know, when you go into the Slush conference, it's really dark and there's the laser shows. So we wanted to have something that really lights up in that dark environment and you can spot it pretty easily. Works pretty nicely, I think. Nice touch. Nice touch. And Slush obviously is close from the family uh, because you have been going through Angry Birds and all that. Actually, that might be a, a, a great place to start before even uh, everything wonderful that you've done with Angry Birds, teaser, spoiler alerts for audience. I think the, the story of how you even got to join Angry Birds and what you did for them with Isopar is maybe a great place to start. Um, sure. Yeah. So my background is in digital advertising and this is like the heydays of Nokia when Nokia was a huge account for any digital advertising agency to pick up on. And I, I managed to lead that account, uh, ended up moving back to Finland after some years in Europe. And Um, we we were doing all kinds of creative advertising and South by Southwest was about to come up and Nokia was wondering like what could we do there we could do something really special but it's Austin it's South by Southwest it has to be something really special so pretty much in that same day we came up with the concept of a 3D mapping of a building in in the like downtown Austin and there was this game Angry Birds that few people were playing those few rare people who had iPhone We're like, yeah, that's, that could be quite fun. The idea of that game is like destroying things. So what about we just like use the slingshot effect and you see the, the birds hitting the building and then the pigs are like screaming. It's like, it's a bit controversial, but it could actually work really nicely as something that you walk by and you want to step, like stop there and look at it. And we had the, the Nokia phone uh, spinning around at the end of it and then it would just keep on, you know, repeating. So we, we came up with the concept Uh, started looking at the technology, how to do 3D mapping. Very few people had been doing that at that point. So we was like, okay, let's call yeah, all the business in London. 
This was around 2011, right? 2010. It Sounds was the very beginning right. of 3D technology. We haven't seen yeah. a bull come out of a window in China. Like, like no, 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 no. This was like was very this different. was just like artistic at this point. Like no brands had been really doing this. And we've managed to find one agency in London who had done it and they had the technology to do that. And they had even people in Austin who could actually like execute for us. So the next step was to obviously get the clearance for using all these assets. And luckily the game was just about to come on Nokia. So it was a great like a segue into that phone is supporting this cool up and coming game. You should probably check it out. So uh, I went to visit Rovio and asked about the assets and I met the team, especially Peter Westerbakas. You've well covered him already in your show. And the energy was just so, I don't know, like it was just so apparent that they were loving what they were doing. And I just kind of rekindled my love for games. So my background is actually in games. I had been working in games before, but I was a QA tester and I totally burnt out by playing 48 hours in a row. And E3 was coming, relate. somebody had to I, do I, that. I've seen the life of QA testers. <laughs> if, if you are at home growing up thinking that playing video games is a great job, wait until uh, you become a QA tester. <laughs> You're going to yeah. hate video games. <laughs> yeah, I, it kinda, I, I was doing it for long enough to not being able to enjoy games anymore. Like I was just walking through walls and seeing if they are like, solid or not and debugging constantly in my head so it took a long time to actually rekindle that interesting games and I realized that mobile actually does that for me I wasn't debugging anymore because it was a different platform and yeah meeting the Rovio guys was so exciting like okay there's there's something happening here and I think I can actually help I have this Mary Poppins type of mentality like I'm gonna fly in with my umbrella like can I help you guys can I fix something this is something I can really get. I'm a really good like a tr problem solver, or and, and also like connecting certain things together and execute those. So it felt like they could be a use for me. So I had a pretty clear vision that I need to join this company, and I think a month later I did. So it was really like, okay, I'm driving to this place. This is this is where I belong, and yeah, that spring was an excellent, excellent spring. Just picking up a lot of really fun projects, continuing a lot of advertising, but at the same time, it was also account management and brand partnerships. And we're living very much the same age right now. Uh, like th there was this new huge industry starting to bubble under and people were realizing that there's opportunity in mobile advertising, there's an opportunity in mobile gaming, but what to do with it? Well, how can brands be interacting with it? Is there audience? Who are these people? Do they buy things? There was no playbooks. There was no sales deck to start with. So it was really just defining all the opportunities and what can be utilized when it comes to developing business. So that was kind of my first key things. But, you know, my best part of the story, of course, is the first phone call that I did as Rovia. Um, I was dumped this crazy inbox of emails um, from brands and different people that nobody had time to reply to. And there were so many, many amazing opportunities, but there was that one that I had to pick up as the first one and it was NASA. NASA, right? Yeah, exactly. It was like, okay, this is me, space freaking out. I need to call these guys. Like we need to figure out how it's gonna work. And of course the people on the other side, Bob and Bird were the nicest guys to ever talk with. And they saw the opportunity of what it is to harness the community and the, 
what what games can really bring especially when it comes to younger people who are playing and engaging and interacting with the game they're able to pick up something more than just what we're giving to them we can actually input some information there or even a link link to nasa's website that's good enough so small things that can be done there so the initial call with nasa was extremely fun and i pretty much giggled my way out of that meeting room that we need to do something with these guys and that evening we had the first concept ready how it would work out the next day i saw it in action how can we use our existing game engine in a microgravity environment it was like this is this is amazing we're on fire and a year later the game came out came out so quite an amazing first few days <laughs> in game industry i think I, if I recall correctly, you told me once that you got out of the call with NASA, you got into the office with Peter Vestebaka, Nicholas Head, Mika Head, and Petri Arrileto. Yes. And you basically summed up what you said, and it was like, I don't know, 7 p.m., 8 p.m., 9 p.m. It was very dark in Finland already for hours, basically. And Petri started drawing some stuff on the blackboard, on the drawing board, sorry. And if I recall correctly, the next morning you had a prototype in your in your mailbox when you exactly. came to the office. Overnight somebody exactly. did something. Yeah, Petri, Petri just picked it up immediately. He was drawing on that. That was like a whiteboard or like a flipboard. And he started thinking like, how could you change the gravity of the engine? Because that's the whole point of it. It, it is a physics game. So if you change the physics, We'll change it. Will will that make the game actually in space? And the next day, yeah, it was in my email saying, confirmed, we can do this. Like, this is amazing. <laughs> I don't even need to go pitching to the team. They've done it. But I, I think it was just excitement in the air for everybody. As a company that calls itself Big Karma, you know, I, I gotta love the serendipity of it all because not only that moment you said, but month before, the reason why this email thread was even existing, it's because it all started with a tweet. And yeah. Bob Jacobs actually told me the story of the tweet. He told me, well, I was doing my, you know, public relations job at NASA and I was looking at Twitter and that day somebody posted a joke about we nowadays have more computing power in our phones to play Angry Birds than NASA had to set a rocket on the moon in the 60s. And he started looking into what, does, what do people mean, these Angry Birds, what is this? And then he looked into it and downloaded the game. And he saw that it was about physics. So he got really interested and then Karma moment that could have, you know, never happened or could have been not seen. He tweeted to, to Angry Birds, hey, something around the line, people can still find tweets, it's history now. Hey, if there are pigs in space, we can help you send birds there. And then it all started with a tweet like that, you know, again, it. I've tweeted so many people who have never answered my tweets, and my tweets were funny too. <laughs> so, you know, it could have just died on a vine, but no, that one 
led to you having a great call and then Petri drawing something in the prototype and then Angry Bird Space. It's yeah, really, and it wasn't even, really... it, there were so many of those moments. There was also that moment when we were like, oh, we would love to do like something in, in space, like on the ISS, but we're too late to send anything there. Like, can we even send anything there? How do you send stuff to space? And they're like, yeah, but we already have Angry Bird on space in space. Like, I'm sorry, what? Uh, but we need to officially request to borrow it from the Russian team because the Russians had already taken Angry Bird as the gravity indicator up in space, like just just a bit bit earlier before we started talking about it. So we're like, okay, this is just meant to be. We need to do this. And of course, um, Mr. Petit that we ended up working with, the astronaut who was at ISS, he he had brought eggs and green balloons with him by accident. So we were able to really conduct like a concoct uh, a physics uh, experiment from ISS where he was doing like pigs and birds and eggs and everything in space, displaying how the microgravity works and everything. It was just amazing. Like things just kind of like kept on working out for us. And it was really fun to feel yeah. the success of a project before it even went live. The, the sheer amount of luck that you need for, for this particular bit is insane. So millions of people have watched it. If you haven't, type on YouTube, Petite, Angrobot Space, and you will see the launch of Angrobots from space, where he plays with plush toys and uh, piggies and eggs in microgravity to see how it floats. And as Maria pointed out, to get that plush toy in, in the International Space Station, you need a rocket ship. You need a rocket ship to go through space for I don't know how many days or weeks and then bring that plush toy to space. But it was already there because of that Russian cosmonaut. So people who have watched the billionaires going in space the last few weeks might be more familiar with it. I wasn't the first time I heard that story, that to check the moment you enter gravity, microgravity, they have a plush in the, in, in the rocket because it expands at the moment. And so you know when you're tied, that that's it. You, you, you switch now. And it's traditional in spacecraft to bring a funny uh, plush toy that you like. And that Russian cosmonaut brought it because his daughter was a fan of Angry Birds and it was a favorite toy. And it was a few months before you wanted to do the stunt. I mean, the sheer amount of luck that then karma, it's like <laughs> the universe is riding up for you. You should do this. <laughs> yeah, and also like later on when I ended up meeting with a lot of astronauts and especially the astronauts who were working on the educational side of things at, at NASA, they all had these stories like when they were growing up they would read a science fiction book they would have seen a movie there was like a moment in their life that just absolutely got them convinced that this is my future i need to go to space i need to work with this and when they started kind of putting that frame set like this might be that moment for a lot of kids like oh my god are we going to are we the next thing like can we actually see in 20 years that there's going to be an astronaut coming to publicity and saying, well, I used to play this Angry Bird space and I learned about <laughs> the Mars rovers. So I ended up going to the space camp and then I become an astronaut. How amazing would that be? And that's just that little thought that I might have done my little share to inspire a few people to go to space. 
that's good enough. Well, yeah. maybe not. We 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 have a few more missions to do, I'm sure. But that was a really huge kind of realization that what games can do and what can I do as a marketing person in games. Like this is this is a driver for me absolutely that I can impact people's uh, educational levels or get them inspired to do bigger things because the world is your oyster. It was an eye-opening moment for me too. Especially because you at Rovio were very good at branding and naming things. So soon after came the idea of stealth learning. And that pretty much embodies Thunderbird Space. As a person, I think I was certainly something at the time Angry Birds Space came out, and I played it as a gamer first and loved it as a game. It was a great game and a great step forward for the Angry Birds franchise as well. So I really loved it as a game. But then when I heard all the stories of NASA and the tidbit, the tidbit that Angry Birds Space ended up being the number one traffic source for NASA.com for two years in a row, and by far, so it worked. And hearing Bob Jacobs saying, this is a recruitment tool for the astronauts of tomorrow, such a big sentence from somebody at NASA, it made me realize, oh, as a kid, when my mom gave me all these educational games about arithmetics and all that, I hated them, and I didn't play them because it felt like a teacher. But the stealth learning part, that you're just playing, you're playing, you're having fun, but something in the background is entering your mind and you're learning a little something. To me, you said stealth learning uh, at Rovio. For me, it was like video games can be the gateway to something. So video games yeah. is not going to teach you physics. But it might make you fall in love with space so that you accept to study the physics textbooks. Yeah. And that gave Yes, it's a spark. And that is fundamental to what we've done, you know, at Lightning as well, if you want to get into that Big Bang Legends, we can. But also to what we do at Big Karma here, that hey, if we showcase uh, heroes with disability from real life for what they already do that is spectacular and cool and edgy and give them three-dimensional personalities and make it fun to play, maybe a few people will change the way they look at disability in general. And this is a little role to play in pop culture. And this, I gotta admit to you, comes for me from Angerbird Space and then Lightyear that it can be done if you mix the best of both worlds and don't put education first, put the fun first, and education yeah. in the background slowly. Yeah, and I, I guess you could do a comparison with books or movies. There's no educational movies, but there's a lot of great movies that will teach you something and then it gets you excited to learn more and you will dig deeper and you dive into that Wikipedia rabbit hole because you just got excited about a topic you never <laughs> learned about before. But some movies has got you into it. And I think we need to understand that like words like serious games and gamification doesn't always need to be the only way to do education and learning in games. Games can be educational as they are because they just get you excited. And without that passion, you don't really want to learn. So once you have that passion, you're going to be sucking in all that information. And I like 
we mentioned a few times, like I've been doing this with few companies now and uh, with Lightning, we did it with CERN. So we tried to look at like how to do particle physics in a casual setting and it can be done because games have that magic. They don't have- For kids seven, uh, yeah. seven years and up. So particle physics exactly. for kids age seven. <laughs> exactly, and it can be like, you can use storytelling, awesome graphics, but mainly I think is that games don't have the borders of reality. Particle physics makes so much more sense in a gaming setting because you know that you can combine this and this and this and something totally different comes out of it. That is the idea of Candy Crush. It's particle physics. Just map that out into the actual world. And you little have it admission, there. Little admission, I learned quite a bit about uh, the Big Bang while playing Big Bang Legends. I should admit that because I'm not seven years old, but I did. <laughs> I don't think anybody knows about the the whole the, the table of elements. Is, it's so extensive, but when you have them, those characteristics, it's so much easier to understand. And later on, we did the same again with like, we did, we did Hatch Kids, like cloud service for kids. And I realized that it's, it's really about branding for parents because parents are looking for that as well. They want to find those awesome games that are educational and boring, but we cannot give those to kids because kids don't want to play that. So it was really about educating parents about what are the skill sets that even a small kid will learn from playing good games that are well developed, um, that use either it's just basic stuff be like mama, you know. be mo mom approved as nice yeah. clever as you used to say. <laughs> Exactly. Yeah, but it's a, it's a parent proof. But what does that mean? And I, I realized that we actually have to educate the parents more than the kids. Kids will find the really good games and they will pick those. But parents need to understand that there's everything from resilience, like how many times you need to start a level because you failed it and you get upset, but you're resilient enough to go and try again and I try again until you figure it out. This is the best way of learning how to handle stress, how to self-control, be resilient, and keep on kind of plugging on it because you're going to get through and there's a reward waiting. So this Tactics, kind of stuff, I think it was like... Tactical thinking as well. Exactly. Thinking in goals, in steps towards your goals. There are so many things that happen in a video game that we don't realize as we play as teenagers. Exactly. The kids don't even need to know, but the parents should know and their parents should <laughs> understand that this is going to be good for them. So a safe environment with excellent games doesn't mean boring games and that's what I, I really liked with Hatch Kids and I think we did really good results with the whole content creation and understanding of what those things are and I think Finland is definitely leading the way here with like game education, uh, early pedagogy for kids uh, when, when people go to university to become like kindergarten teachers they actually look at games as one of that so digital gaming is part of the pedagogy for or, already from early education and it's so cool to see and this now. And our good friend Sana Lukender is trying to globalize that a little bit through Fun Academy, right? Exactly. There's a couple of really good edtech companies coming from Finland because they are making science a fun game. But also I was just looking at what Roblox is doing right now. They are talking about education. They're talking about civility uh, and how, how is player safety uh, there for kids. But how do you actually talk to their parents about what is gaming and what is happening on Roblox? Because it's all about educating the parents so that they're not worried. And and of course, that means that you're, you're com completely like looking at the development of the tools and the moderation systems and age approvals. But at the same time, it's a platform where a lot of this learning can happen. So how do we embrace that instead of be, be scared of it? 
Ja, and fear in parents has been something I've combated since I was a kid, then a teenager. And I'm happy to report that now we're grown up and a parent. I haven't changed. I'm still fighting the fear. Be fearless. I'm of this belief, you know, that quote that the internet attributes to Einstein, I'm not sure if it's correct or not, that we are all born creative geniuses until we get into school somehow and they teach it out of us. And I'm of that belief as well. Kids are awesome and they figure it out really quickly. And they get it deeper and more granular than we looking for from the surface. And we have sometimes more to learn from them than 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 us than them from us. By the way, what you said about we have to remove that boring stigma from educational games. With investors nowadays, I'm pitching something more and more that it that I actually, after repeating it so many times, I'm starting to believe in it. In, 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 it's because you mentioned books and movies, and I say the same thing. There are inspirational. There is inspirational movies. There are inspirational documentaries. There is inspirational content all over the internet. There is inspirational music. Why can't there be inspirational gaming? Not educational. Inspirational. I ju- I I cannot teach them anything but I can make them think. And that's, I think, Acrobat Space is an inspirational game. And I think that category, that genre, will keep growing because I keep looking at the industry as the fact that it's born in 1977, like me. So when I was a kid, it was a kid, Nintendo. Then when I grew up as a teenager, PlayStation acted as a teenager. A male, a white male teenager, by the way. So uh, I had that luck that it was really, I, I didn't see the flowers in my industry until I grew up. But lucky me, as I matured, I saw the industry gradually mature and grow with me. And now I'm looking at a grown up industry. And a grown up industry of 40 years old start thinking about purpose. And people are asking, what is the citizen cane of gaming? I think that's irrelevant because we're not making linear media. There will be no Citizen mm-hmm. Kane, but there will be world-changing, if I may, moment, um, entertainment-defining moment coming from video games, and there have been plenty, but there will be more. And the inspirational aspect of things is really a huge, offers a huge room for growth and development. So many things can be done when you start thinking this way. Yeah, and I think... That's why I'm I'm totally in love with the whole metaverse discussion currently because it actually disrupts that way of thinking as well that it's not us making those games anymore. It's them making the games. Those who are playing are making the games and they are doing their own UA inside Roblox and they are inviting their <laughs> friends to co-develop and it's all done by creators that can be eight-year-olds. And they, they will be doing some really cool stuff as they are starting to grow older. And we are going to be wondering what happened to the world because those kids just totally took over the industry. Do you think Roblox is basically training the next generation of kids at being entrepreneurs? Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, yeah. They're already knowing how to run a, a gaming startup. They do their own financials, they do their UA, they do their calculations. It's, it's pretty impressive. Like I, I get a bit sweaty when I'm even thinking about it, that they learned actually how to code, 
how to make really fun games, how to invite people in there, how to promote that game and create advertisements. It's it's pretty impressive, I would say. And as those guys, like well, let's let's say that the, the, the Roblox community, as they are now starting to mature, and the last couple of years they've spent online just walking, working together, talking to each other. What's going to be next? Because this is now a generation of digital natives in a metaverse. And I think we're going to start seeing that becoming a reality and requirement for a lot of them. Like, what is this is a chat based thing or where's my 3D characters? Where's my items that I've already purchased like three years ago? They're going to be expecting these things in different places that they go to. And we should be catering to that kind of audience already. They're coming. They're coming very soon, I think. Because they, they behave differently and they grew up in this strange world of only digital interaction. Yeah, and, and the pandemic the pandemic obviously exacerbated that even more. But I don't I, I would argue it only accelerated it that this what is happening now would have happened eventually in a matter of years <laughs> if it wasn't for the pandemic. Uh, all of it, the Uber Eats, the the, the the metaverse, everything was coming. It was a matter of time. Yeah, it's a platform shift. And I think metaverse might be the wrong word, actually. It's it's really just the platform thinking that it's it's now a platform where everybody gets to be their own boss and their own creator. They figure out their own economy. They, they can run their own businesses. Everything can be a business as long as you have the tools uh, and the platform for it. So I think we need to step away in that way. As, at least that's what I've been doing the last year as a metaverse, metaverse marketer, realizing that if I do the marketing, it's not as good as the marketing that they do themselves. So I just need to give them the campaigns, the assets, the play, place to shine, and let, give them the platform to do what they do the best, which is excellent way of explaining what they do, what is their creativity, what really drives them, because you can see the passion through the content that they create. Yes, give them the tools. And I'm with you on the metaverse name. I think that, first of all, the, f the origins of it, you know, all the snow crash adoration among tech billionaires is something very important not to miss. Snow crash was a dystopia. And so, you know, let's not try to recreate that. And then now you have Facebook calling itself meta with the... I'm sorry, I'm going to say subjectively what I think about it. The terrible presentation, terrible vision of the metaphors that they have and that I as a gamer and as a gaming industry insider cannot get behind. This is not my view of the metaphors. And I'm, I like what you said right now, that it's much more the fact that it's consumer driven and giving them the tools. We used to call it user generated content. But I liked something what Jack Ma said four or five years ago. He said, and in a way, you can think of it as Alibaba being uh, at least Taobao in China and AliExpress being somewhat that disruptor in that as a creator or manufacturer, you could go direct to consumers and consumers could go direct to the manufacturer without store, without retail, without intermediate which obviously opened the doors in China for a lot of creators and creativity. Like you have these people in rural areas, artisans who do things really well. There is a mix of Etsy in Taobao yeah. as well. And Jack Ma said, welcome to the C2B era. 
we used to be B2B or B2C or B2B2C, it's C2B. The consumers will tell us what they want and we do it, we make it. Yeah. We don't propose and they pick from what we made, they tell us and we yes. make it. And it's so it's all about tools. And, and I really like that because I'm sure it's also an um, education revolution we need as you, as you hinted yeah. at. Now that we have Wikipedia, you know, going to school to memorize stuff and give it back doesn't make much sense because the knowledge is out there anyway. Even if you're six years old, it's at your fingertips. The critical thinking of what to do with all this knowledge is a new education mode. And I'm sure you've seen that video because of stealth learning and because of Rovio, the, the Indian Gupta, Gupta, um, Mr. Gupta, I think, when he's on stage at the TED Talk, a hole in a wall, sorry, when he put the computer outside and he said, if you just give them the means, kids will figure it out on their own. That's they will learn even English just to do Google yeah. searches. It's amazing. Yeah. I love that example. I, and my favorite part of that example is actually the grandma part. So when you introduce yes. a human into that into that story so they will learn how to do google searches they will learn how to read english because they are yearning for that information and i love the briefs as well it was like quite abstract so you end up reading a lot about it until you get to that one one piece of content but you learned so much more and then that's not the learning the learning is when you actually explain it and you talk with somebody so they would have that phone call with some british grandma so they could pronounce the word properly with the British accent and explain to a grandma. So how do you explain these things to a grandma? Actually, I got that asked. Uh, that was a question I got asked today. How would you uh, describe metaverse to a grandma? And that was a really good like thinking process of how do you actually explain any of this if you're not on the technology cycle at all? So it's no something job. that is on the phone, <laughs> but you can. Can you even talk about virtual to a grandma? No, you can't. So the closest I could get is like on a, it's like a between real world and an imaginary world where you play, but you're playing with other people and you have this like an animated character and you can do anything in there. But it was quite cool. Like, oh yeah, this is closer to imagination now than to anything else than our grandmas would know what it is. Like you can appear in a movie if somebody set it up as a movie set and you still kind of need that imagination as well. It's not going to be, fully realistic you still need to be like open-minded and playful to enter a, you know, a roblox scene that looks like it's from a movie it's still made out of blocks and it's still a limited experience but you can feel the excitement and especially if the rest of the community is there with you yeah why 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 you weren't in the harry potter world or the lord of the rings environment because it's been created for you we're certainly not in the ready player one or ready player two setup of of a full experience of Rivendell in in the world and you can feel the things and you can sniff things but it's it's close enough for for those who have the imagination and I love that this is kind of going back to the very primitive way of thinking as humans as playful creatures we've we've always played play has always been part of our lives no matter what age we are no matter are we looking a thousand years back or not it's there's always been excitement and play and that's the best way to learn right we know this it might, it might be the meaning of human life 
as we've experienced through the pandemic, that if we are only productive and you remove frivolity, the right to joy, the dignity of risk, are we really humans then, or have we become robots? And, and, and there was this Apple um, commercial, you know how Apple commercial can be so inspirational sometimes, and they have the budget to do it. There was this one on TV with Robin Williams, uh, the late great Robin Williams uh, reading, I think it was a Whitney poem. And it was, I remember that line vividly because I've said it to many people when they face, you know, that meaning of life moment, what's the point and all that. It's that the great spectacle continues and you can add your verse. And I love the fact that in the universe, you can add your verse, but in the metaverse, it's fundamental you, that you can add your verse as well. Because it's not just playing what others have created for you, you can add your little creation. Win, draw, lose. Maybe 10 people will see it, maybe 100 people will see it, maybe it will go viral and millions of people will play it. But that's kind of irrelevant, that addiction to numbers that we have. It's just about yeah. the fact that you create your own verse and you participate in the great spectacle that continues. <laughs> yeah, and it can be so meaningful for that one person and it just changes their life because that is what art is about. And yes. I think we have, have an opportunity to feel that games are part of that art world when artists can enter there and they can create all kinds of amazing opportunities. And I love that there's actually like NFT museums so art galleries are becoming more decentralized. I guess that's the word, right? <laughs> so anybody who owns something then can put those pieces of art that they've actually paid for. They are the owners of it. They can have those on display in an NFT gallery. It's a museum for, available for everybody. But that art is not anymore in a, in a physical location in one city, in one country that is only for those who go there. It's available for everybody. And, we need to start thinking like that. Like we are global citizens. Can we start removing those physical barriers that not everybody's able to travel or don't want to travel, but I would love to still see that piece of art that you just bought. Can I see it in a nice setting and just really study it? I think it's really cool. It's, it's a very um, positive movement where things become available for more people. And there's a way lower barrier to entry to being an art collector. It's an NFT piece instead of a physical piece that is not available at all for most people. Do you share the, um, the fear with me? And maybe I'm an old man for thinking this way, but can the real world become too boring for the next generation of kids in comparison to the metaverse? Because in the real world, things are slower. Sometimes you get white. Sometimes there's frustration. Traveling is hard, but the rewards are worth it, I would argue to you, because I, I have known it, I've tried it. But sometimes I wonder if I was 14 years old today and I had that choice between taking a plane and traveling and living the life that I've had or staying at home in digital the whole day. You know, that addiction exists in China and Japan, it's well documented, but I would argue it exists in other countries that haven't spotted the problem yet. Kids who live 100% online and just yeah. use daddy's credit card, order some food together, and they never go out. And of course, the longer you go like that, 
the harder it is to fit in real society. It, it, and I have that fear because I feel it would happen to me if I was born today. I would go back and look at my life. This is obviously just one example, but I totally mm-hmm. lived like that in the in in my childhood. I read books. I read the whole library. I didn't go out. I just loved reading books, and I lived in those worlds. So my metaverse was on the pages of a book. I it was really important for me to have that escape. Um, into imaginary worlds unfortunately nobody else was there i felt very much alone and i'm hoping that this is the more of a communal feeling of okay there's others like me we love these things and we we can connect on that and when i had my first access to internet this is like late 90s i had a i don't know my teachers probably saw that i was a bit lonely and a weirdo so they gave me as the only person in my whole school um, exclusive access to a computer with internet and it took ages to connect but I found a chat and I made these friends and I'm still friends with them I haven't met all of them but this is like since 97 I've I, I was like pen friends virtual pen friends with a lot of people and I found my community and those became lifelong friends I I'm still connecting with them but I'm still living in this world as well because there is upsides to this right so I don't know I, I feel like of course, there's going to be people who will go completely deep in there, but they would have probably done that with something else. There's always addiction and addiction, like addictive behavior. Of course. And I'm really hoping we can find better tools to work with that and, and how to balance and self-control. And I think that's what I'm trying to think as well as a, as a parent, that learning self-control and, and that um, how, to, how to balance my life as a kid already is going to give the tools for future use of, of digital elements and dopamine rushes of, of excitement. But I did get those already from and, books. And so I, I'm sure it's well. going to... And serotonin Sorry. as well, because we said we want to be inspirational. So not just dopamine, but serotonin rush as well. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Yeah, but that, there, there's so much happiness there. And, and it's really important to realize how to, how to find that also in the real life. So is it is it doing a bit of sports in between or is, is there something else that makes you as happy? Is it cooking? Whatever. But it's important to get to learn yourself as a, as a full person. It's a holistic perspective. And of, I'm, I'm not worried about spending a lot of time online if it makes you happy and you find your one, oh, yeah. one group. Because otherwise you might have not ever found anybody at all. Better to <laughs> be lonely online then. My view is whatever your path to happiness here, to happiness as long as you're not killing other people and raping other people to get there, I am with you. Go do your own thing. I'm more worried about the traps to depression. And But you're absolutely right that the behavior comes mostly from psychology, psychology upbringing, sociology, and it might be in the person... In fact, you made me think just right now while you were talking, I was thinking, yeah, but compare it to the status quo, Pascal. You're right that that lonely person probably would have been lonely anyway. Now, at least with the metaverse, we have one more layer of entering in communication with him or her that maybe we wouldn't have had with books or if she's, he or she is just killing cats in the backyards or hidden in a bush somewhere we have so yeah it's never an ideal world anyway is it so it's always compared to the status quo 
is it better or not? Well, if it gives one more option for people to create, find themselves, then yeah, it is. And some people yeah. will still be depressed, but we have more work to do. It doesn't mean yeah. that thing was bringing the depression. It's just how we found out about it. Yeah, the community element is so strong in these games and, and different places where you're creating that you, you're, you're going to have a lot of interaction and you're going to be learning about other people from different cultures. And even if you have dressed up yourself as a dinosaur or whatever, you're still bringing something of you there. And that's where people will meet. And there's going to be some kind of exchange, no matter what. Even if it's trolling, there's still people interacting and there's always some kind of seed of truth somewhere there where you meet a person in an honest setting and you're going to learn more about the world. And this is a great opportunity for that. I, I'm pretty excited that kids are playing Minecraft together and becoming friends with others from totally different parts of the world and they're creating cultural monuments together. Or yeah. It doesn't need to even be that epic. Small things, you know. Even even through the communities and, um, you know, the competitive communities that you have more and more in game and they create WhatsApp groups and, hey, guys, we're going to rush together and rally and win this tonight at this mobile game. I have witnessed human moments that are beautiful, like a nomophobic person finding out that somebody on his group is actually gay by making a very bad crude joke on the group and then having some um, you know some uh, rea negative reactions from the others defending it like a bigot and then at some point one person saying hey i'm gay what's the problem with that and him or, or her realizing well it's usually a he that is so homophobic i don't want to make generalities but i, I have yet to encounter a woman who is homophobic um, but he or she will realize suddenly, oh, but that's the guy or the girl I was winning with and I loved the most on the field and, and we really bonded and for three months and consider him or her a friend. And now she dropped, he or she dropped a bond that he's, that he's gay. How do I deal with that? And all of a sudden you see the change, the tone in the chat. It's like, you know, that terrible thing where you have somebody saying yeah i don't like the arabs but not you mohammed you're a cool guy or i don't like the blacks but not you you're not like them it's still very racist but it's a start i would argue because now mohammed can can counter argue and and now you have a dialogue instead of just hate in a little box and in a little bubble you have a dialogue about it. And I've seen so many moments like these in these WhatsApp groups, one-to-one. -one. We are more powerful to have a change one-to-one -one than trying to speak to billions of people. Exactly. There's a team mentality. And, and when a team builds together like that, they're going to be meeting on a new level and they're going to be learning about each other's. And those stories are so heartbreaking sometimes because they, they realize that there's a totally different person behind the scene, behind the screen that they just couldn't even imagine. It can be a person in a wheelchair who's not able to go outside, but their life is with this gang and they have such a tight connection. It's really sweet. And I think it's so important that we, we're starting to realize that the world is world consists of all kinds of people and we're going to be meeting in a, in a more of a level play field. 
where those physical restraints are not going to be a big deal. We're going to be meeting us, the, the true selves, when we are allowing those to come out, of course. And like in a real life nightclub, we will have to deal with bullying and we will have to deal with catfishing and we will have to deal with deceptive behaviors. So that real life problem will continue in metaphors and we will have to mitigate it because there is no magical solution uh, to it, yep. not even in technology. Talking about exciting metaverse things, now you are with African life. And you've done quite a bit of those things where people get to express and create themselves. The latest one everybody's talking about is, of course, the voice of Avakin. Um, but I got to say, I was watching you because I have other friends there. Oliver Kern is somebody I respect a lot. Carlos Estigarribia is a dear friend of mine. He even helped us contacting uh, one of the Brazilian characters on our own game. Um, and you know what caught my attention before the mega voice of African life, which we we'll talk about in a minute, the hairdresser piece, the hair salon. Um, that I thought was a really nice touch because obviously everybody likes the shiny things, especially us marketeers, the NBA, the concerts with Jay Balvin, you know, something you can announce. But the hairdresser is very metaphorical. Because it it's artisanal and everybody can either be a customer that tries the hairstyle or can create a hairstyle. So it's really that C to B approach that we were talking about from Jack Ma. Where, 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 did you, were you involved in the hairdresser thing? Yeah, 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 definitely. We have an absolutely amazing development team that put, put that stuff together. <laughs> but I think what that uh, feature really underlines is the, the opportunities and the best parts of the metaverse. And we've been really talking a lot about that with that team, especially that, what is it that we do? How is the metaverse game design different from, from the rest of the game designs? Like there are certain principles that are super important. And one thing of course is the engagement. So you're not just passively watching, you have to participate. And in this case, you get to have those two different roles. You can be a customer or you can be the hairdresser and you earn while you're doing work. So it's actually a job where you're able to earn coins, which is very important for, for our community. They love doing that. But that's not the only part. We really wanted to also bring that third element, which is making new contacts because socializing is usually with your old friends, but we should never lose a chance to meet new people. So we ended up adding that chat element in there as well. So people, two people will, uh, they're gonna be put into a private chat while the hairdressing as is happening. So they can chat and keep on role-playing because that's what people do. They are promoting their, like, come here, I'm the best hairdresser, even though they have the set hairstyles that they can pick. But they, they keep on playing and it's really fun to go there and chat with them because like, oh, I love what you did with my hair. And they're like, yeah, I love my job. It's like, oh, this is so cool. Everything and you might hate on. your hairdresser, like in real life, <laughs> and never go back. Even though the, the, the piece was great, you didn't like the chat. <laughs> yeah, like yeah, sometimes drivers, that's exactly it. You're adding the serendipity yeah. to the metaphors, which most business development people I know, is it's what they complain about since the beginning of the pandemic. Digital conferences are great and all that to set up your meetings, but with people you feel you can do business with, serendipity is when you meet that person you didn't think about and you end up still having an interaction that is meaningful. 
And in real life conferences, we have that a lot because smoking, drinking, coffee machine, toilet, bumping into one another. You next to someone I know, I salute that person, no, he introduced or she introduced me to you. All of these moments, um, it's great that you're thinking that way to the metaverse so that it doesn't become, you know, what we criticize so much of Facebook, that uh, tunnel view of the world yeah, where it's you only talk to the persons who think like mm -hmm. you. Yeah, exactly. Which, which is not a good thing. Yeah, yeah, so break that bubble and and introduce the random encounters. And I think that was really amazing from from the de developers to really put that as as the key, the heart of the in, the the feature. And from my side, so when we started thinking about the, how how do we do the marketing of this? Well, the community is at heart of everything. So we need to let the community know about this. And we need to give them the opportunity to see it before anybody else does. So, so we did the TikTok feature stream as part of the Festival of Games for TikTok. And that was really fun, like having one of our uh, VIP players, so one of the super involved uh, gamer. She did a live stream of the feature before it was out. Not all the pieces were even together, but we really wanted to show it to the community. And we got a lot of other people in there as well. And it was fun to see that. A lot of people recognize the game, but they played it a long time ago because this is like one of the old metaverses that have been around for a really long time. So there's like another generation, they've grown into older people and they remember like, yeah, this is that. Oh, is this a new feature? Yeah, dressers, I love it. So the, the, like, the community feedback was really have, have fun. Life has been around for that long. Yeah, I, I think it's like eight, eight years old. Eight years old, okay. Okay, yeah, so it's, it's on my radar for four or five years. And I find it so exciting the last three years, really. So I, yeah. I have the, oh, you do your job as a team really well, because I had the opposite impression that it was younger than that, which is always a good impression <laughs> because it, it means it feels fresh to me. Yeah, and we, we keep on redoing cool things like this, this catwalks like fashion week where we actually do like a full catwalk where people can role play that and we've introduced designers and the summer festival was really that was a big eye-opener for me as well uh, 14 million people can visit a virtual summer festival and it's it's low barrier to entry so you just use your mobile phone you don't need wear goggles or wearables or or crypto wallets for that matter just have an app and come in and you can see some really cool music and hang out with other people. So that's what I really like when I see the communities coming I'm together. They're having forward. picnics together. Yeah. yeah, I'm looking forward to Tomorrowland in African Live then. As a Belgian, I must. <laughs> <laughs> that would be a really cool feature. Yeah, but, um, uh, talking about really cool feature, the latest ones, everybody's talking about it. It made the press big time. And it impressed me. You know how I roll. I like it when something is big and ambitious, but at the same time feels cool and authentic and makes sense uh, for the game and the audience. So if it's just big for the size of big, for the purpose of bigness, but it doesn't really make sense, um, I'm not that excited. But this one I really, really, really liked because obviously The Voice is such a big brand worldwide. You know, even here in Colombia, they have the voice. <laughs> they don't even call it's it everywhere. the voice. They call it the voice in English with a terrible yeah. accent, but still. Um, 
And, and, and yeah, it is so... If you put it in a video game, it's like so obvious. It's like, I wish I had thought of it, <laughs> which is what the best ideas are, right? It's like, oh yeah, of course, this is so metaverse. You get yeah. to sing, there's the judge aspect of it. So how did it came about? Once again, you get a lot of love from TikTok on it, which makes me also jealous. Um, tell me more about that big thing that's happening right now and how it's been playing for the last couple of weeks. Yeah, so we're halfway through so far. We haven't opened the big stage that's starting next week, but the TV ad is starting tomorrow. But let's let's go back a bit. Like, what, what did okay. we do? So hats off to Oliver, obviously, on this one, pulling together some really interesting partners. I picked up it pretty soon as I, after I joined the company. Um, it's, it's a collaboration between various partners. So, of course, ourselves as the, the, the host of the, the experience in, in the app. And there's ITV, who is the voice hold, uh, IP holder. And they also are a TV channel in the UK, thus the TV ad. Uh, so we can collaborate on, we get to TV, they get to metaverse. It's a pretty exciting uh, opportunity for both. Um, and then Sony, so we've licensed tracks from them and we're working with one of the artists, uh, Sam Fisher, who's a TikTok celebrity himself. He, he rose from TikTok. And then there's TikTok um, as a partner. So we are able to collaborate with them, getting a lot of platform for those amazing voices that are coming through the, the experience. But this, I think this is one of my favorite projects because of that, that we were able to put the concept together based on what our community would want to do and what is not possible to do in the real world. So let's really uh, like identify the problems, which is people are shy. They might have amazing voice, but they don't live in the right country or the right city where this kind of stuff is available. Um, the, they don't get to be a judge because they're not celebrity themselves or they will never ever dare to stand on a big stage. So we wanted to kind of remove all those barriers that really shouldn't be a big deal. Um, let's just take the, the essence of the voice. They even themselves call it the, Which is the voice. Where the voice matters. <laughs> yeah, and the voice matters. So let's just concentrate on that, and let's use this opportunity. People can be an avatar, and just have their voice out there. And what we can do instead of having a TV show where a couple of people can be shining, we can have the whole world looking at them or hearing them in this case. So we can we can really um, pick the best ones with the most amazing voices and highlight them throughout the campaign to millions of users, to millions of viewers. So what we're doing is every every few days, we go through the audition tapes that they are currently. So people are able to go into the voice of Avakin and create an audition tape where they're dancing with their avatars. They upload that to TikTok and add their actual vocals so they can find the karaoke track there and then sing on it. So we listen to those and find the best ones and we highlight those on TikTok, so they're able to get a whole bunch of views there. But we also bring them back into the app. So there's a green room that you spawn into when you enter the voice of Avakin in Avakin Life. And there's two screens there. You can see the best of those few, uh, few days, the real singers showing their videos, how they're doing it. And you can inspire like, OK, uh, I, I think I can do that as well. That's pretty low barrier. Like, I can just do a dancing video and add my vocals. So it has to be like a incentivized, uh, very clear, like how do you participate? And if you really have that amazing voice, you're able to get it get it heard. That's the idea here. And then, uh, yeah, next week we're gonna open up the stage 
So there's also the huge stage, the actual showroom. We've replicated the TV showroom with the judges' chairs as well as the big stage. And these are like action notes where you can go and sit down and capture a TikTok video. So we have a direct uh, export to TikTok of each of these kind of key moments of spinning in the chair and pushing the button and singing on the big stage. And the idea is that we wanted to just give these tools for people to use, do whatever they feel like doing. What is their creative input? Um, we did expect like really cool things, but it just blows me away every day to look at those videos. Like, wow, okay, that's just amazing. The camera moves, the crazy clothes that they're dressing up in, and some of the voices are just absolutely amazing. Like, nobody's heard these people singing? That's not fair. We need to give them that place to really be heard and by other people too. Did our friend Anna Toivonen participate? I still remember that moment at Slush when I think it was at Slush, a podcast game, I think, I can't remember which one of the two, but when she took the microphone, you remember there was a karaoke with all these gaming industry insiders and all of a sudden Anna took the microphone and blew us all away. And I think there will be, yes, exactly. And I think there will be moments like this in, in the voice of Avakim as well, like, oh my God, this is my neighbor in, in the voice of Avakim Live and listen to how she or he sings. And, you know, this is my, the person I work with and all these, but I think this is what excites me the most about the internet since it started. Every two to three years, we have a big story of democratization. Democratization of access. YouTube, in a way, is the democratization yeah. of Hollywood. If you are an up-and-coming director, but you don't live in LA, well, make your own videos, and the, the audience will be the judge of whether it has merit or not. It might be small, big, bigger. We'll see. You can become... Felix Kjallberg from Sweden can become PewDiePie and he doesn't have to move to LA for that. And, and there are so many democratization stories like that of the internet, like mobile esports to me is the democratization of esports because you don't need a big PC rig and you can do it from Brazil or India and maybe you have the skills already and Free Fire is your gateway to enter that path that otherwise there wouldn't be the big eSport event near you. And that's what now you do with The Voice. The, the Voice was already a step in that direction. You don't have to be famous or, or good looking and it's just about The Voice. But we've all watched the show. We know the limits of, yeah. of it. And, and I think you're breaking, at least extending those limits yeah. to a much wider the audience. We really wanted to just take the key moments and, and make those available for everybody because not everybody gets to go through the audition. Every, a lot of people can do the audition, but then there's more steps and to be seen by others and to be recognized for your talent. It's really amazing. And at least for me, like as a Finnish introvert, uh, I would not be doing a dancing video where I'm showing my face, but I can totally have my Avakin doing that. That's like a projection of something that is not totally me but I can give her my voice and that's totally okay like it, it feels totally much much easier for a shy person to 
perform in front of other people. I wouldn't be up uploading a video of myself to TikTok, but my Eva Kim, she's she's fun. She can do cool stuff. And there are also other barriers that are not even psychologic. Like as a father of a disabled uh, little one, I always appreciate when transportation or logistics of anything is made easy because I know there is 1.7 billion people with different disabilities out there. And for many of them, it's not as easy to travel as for others. For some, it's impossible. And I remember how hard it was once to get Reggie Valenzuela to participate in the final of an esports tournament for which he had won his participation, but transportation to the event. Mm. And because I'm the father of a kid with disability, I, I made sure he, 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 attempt, he attended. But they are, whenever you make a big show with a big sponsor and a location, you somehow make it more difficult. Every decision you make, you exclude some people without you realizing. Exactly. And, and, and the best example of that, when it comes to The Voice, it was a different show, not The Voice brand, but Jennifer Lopez and Mark Anthony, her ex-husband, the Salsero guy, the, the, one of the big names in salsa. They were touring Latin America for uh, American TV in the look for uh, talents that were in this, uncovered in poor neighborhoods, you know, street <laughs> talents and in different countries. And at some point I really had to cry and actually I'm not alone. Mark Anthony and Jennifer Lopez really cried on camera as well. When they found that great band in Mexico, in Mexico de F, in La Socolo, we a typical band of mariachis playing there for many years, lots of them very old. And they made it, you know, selected for the finals and all that. And then there was one of the guys who said, oh, I can't go. And they said, why? We're paying for the trip and all. And he said, yeah, but I don't have a passport. And he said, yeah, but we can help you get the passport. Yeah, I don't have a birth certificate. Officially, I don't exist. Wow. That's and horrible. this fucking broke me. It, it melted me, you know, at the moment that your life can change from dirt poor poverty to possibly fame. And no, I was not born right. Yeah, you, you weren't even dealt any cards to start with. That's horrible. Yes. That's true. Since day one of life, none of this was possible. Yeah. It's, and, you know, if one of the other band members can get a phone to that guy and can participate in the voice of African. And I always go back to this when, whenever we make things slightly more difficult to get, our oh, people can deal with that, right? Depends. Depends if they're disabled. Depends if they have less than $1 in their pocket. Depends. There are people with great talent, but really, really, really no luck at all. We were talking about the all luck and Google space. And I've been pretty lucky in my life too, but not everyone. It's kind of overwhelming sometimes how people have bad luck written all over their foreheads. Yeah, I think the inc inclusivity is, is, is an essential part of the metaverse and how things have to be designed. And I think that's going to be the discussion going forward. Like, what is the ethics? What is the the principles of the metaverse? Are we, again, creating something that is just available for certain people? And I think looking at the NFT world currently, that is a very, very exclusive place. 
starting from the way the communities behave and and how many steps your crypto wallet needs to attend before you can get anywhere and and how much that costs how do you even purchase the the crypto uh, tokens for example it's it's not really there and it's also there's a very interesting contrast to what gen z is about because gen z doesn't really appreciate that kind of like um exclusive purchases or luxury brands in that way they they actually want to have uh, access to a service or a whole variety of things because today i might want to do this but tomorrow i want to do something else i don't want to have a 500 euro t-shirt because i don't want to wear it tomorrow i want to wear something else so There's there's a very different kind of behavior, especially in the last couple of years, that the different trends like cottage core and back to the country type of things are becoming more important for the younger generation. That they actually do feel like they need meaningfulness in their lives. They need to reconnect with their roots and nature, um, and have time for themselves, which I think is really amazing. There's a lot of that kind of self care thinking that. My mental health is important. I need to step back. I need to de-stress. And it's really nice that they're actually considering themselves as, as something that is important and needs to be taken care of. It's not about um, looking amazing all the time. Of course, there's that world too. Filters and Instagram expectations and all <laughs> that. But maybe we can have a better place for that, that it doesn't always mean uh, you need to be perfect constantly. You can be something else the next day. What we were talking about on one of the last episodes with Sasha Thompson is the difference, the last little nuance of difference between authentic and real. Because creators today do a really good job at authenticity. You know, it's the currency on YouTube and TikTok nowadays. But authentic is not yet completely real. And I think the last piece that we as humans have to do a better job of sharing is our moments of vulnerability. We like to talk about everything and anything, but vulnerability, what really puts us there at risk, what you could use against me, basically. Mm. It's difficult to share, even for the world champions, even for the athletes, even for the YouTube stars. But it's that that makes it easier for us to live as humans to see oh we all struggle or the guy who yes. shined yesterday on the voice of african life this morning struggled with this like me actually yes. which means that maybe i'm not good enough at singing but maybe like him or her i have something in me that i should develop and find and just to show the hardships because you're right the instagram and TikTok filtering um Sometimes I've, I'm amazed of the you. I've worked with enough YouTube creators and Instagrammers now to see the difference between their onstage persona and their character and who they really are in real life. And you know, you know what? Sometimes I prefer the person in real life. I'm like, oh, the, the, the on screen persona is completely <laughs> over the top. I like you better when we talk. Why yeah. wouldn't you like that in your videos? Yeah. And it's the fear that people wouldn't love me then, the way I yes. am. Yeah, I think I, yeah, I've seen a lot of that now with my other foot is in the music world. And I've actually appreciated that there's been quite a few musicians like coming out with 
to say that I really hate touring and I don't want to go back on tour anymore because they got out of the red race. It was forced to end, but now they can make that decision of not going again. And few of them, like very famous musicians, have already said that this, this is just not good for me. It's it's uncomfortable. It's, it's unhealthy. And that's great. I really, I, I, yeah. And nobody really went, came out with that kind of stuff before COVID. And I think it's really nice that it's totally acceptable. We're all exhausted. And that's totally fine to admit now. And really, really like this new normal where, yeah, not every day is a perfect day anymore. And even our celebrities are not on on crazy energy levels all the time. They have their bad days and not all of them even enjoy where they are. Not even celebrity makes you happy. And that's really cool that they can talk about it. Yeah, definitely. It's those cycles that lead us to burnout, but competition forces us to shut up about it. There is a big taboo in sports, for example, which is injuries. You see some famous footballers that you, you see on TV all the time, since they are 23, they struggle with an injury that they had at their knee or their, and they pretend it's okay. And all the fans are like, but why is he so slow? Is he um, lazy or something? Or why is Ronaldo, uh, the, not Cristiano Ronaldo, Ronaldo, the Brazilian player before, why is he growing so fat in the last years of his career? Is he eating too much? He had hypothyroidism. Tyroneism, mm. so so he have thyroid condition. He never talked about it. Yeah. And when I get to his agent, I'm like, why does he talk more about it though? Because I, I mean, this would explain so much for his fans. It's not that I'm eating; I have a condition. His manager told me something that felt so harsh. He's like, yeah, but next Sunday he wants his coach to select him about the starting eleven above all the other kids who want to the place so him talking about injury and condition now he has to say i'm 100 ready and i'm fit and i'm going to score goals he's almost forced to play that macho version of himself because yeah. there's another one who will if he doesn't and he loses spot in his job and his salary and his endorsements if he starts playing the victim as it would be perceived and so you have these taboos because of competition. I am sure all the two the bands didn't want to tour before, but somebody could tell them, if you don't want a spot, Metallica is going to gladly take it. You know? Exactly. <laughs> yeah, there's always somebody playing against the others, but once that competition is gone and you get to really pick your own battles, I think it's really good that people are able to stand strong and just be themselves as well. And I guess we could segue this back to games in a way like I think you and I we, we've both been very driven with the whole meaningfulness of games and what what the games really are about or what are the opportunities here and where we'd be always looking for that as well like we love working in this industry but there's always that little but what if we could do something really special and I love that that there's the passion behind it and this is something that is driving us not always to the most commercial things and that's cool as well like sometimes it's it's really about what you want to do and they'd be honest about it as well that we're not here to maybe make millions with with our passion but we're going to be doing something that really makes makes us happy i must admit though 
I haven't always been like this. I would say up until age 32, 33, so that's 12 or 13 years of career for me. Actually, if you could count for the three years selling pirate games, I've been working since I'm 14. So up until age 32, 33, I was very competitive and very driven by competition and, and by many shiny things and the numbers. And, and it took me to actually get it out of my system and get a few wins and get a few defeats, grow up as a man and realize that I no longer have anything to prove to myself and to my mom. And then I became myself. But yeah. at the beginning, I was too insecure to be myself because I had to play the game for a while oh, yeah, yeah. and prove that I was good at it before saying, no, I'm not playing the game under the rules you've set. We, we should go away on a lighter touch and leaving with a touch of comedy. We talked a lot about the metaverse, the digital life. Have you seen the Iceland verse uh, spoof video that went out the last few days? Yep, I think I saw it yeah, two days ago. It was really, really funny. And I love the whole Scandinavian um, body language and the pronunciations of the words like it's kind of like in the robot scene but it's also really truly scandinavian and i like that that it was a it was very uh self-deprecating at the same time as being just super funny yeah and, and in the last 10 years finland sweden denmark iceland you've become really 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 good at this at that self-deprecating laughing at your cliches and yeah, lots of great videos. The Denmark troll of Donald Trump uh, buying Greenland was also hilarious in that way. And, and I really had to love the moment. And it's really immersive. There is water you can touch and, and it feels wet. <laughs> yeah, it's the open metaverse. You can walk in there. Oh, man. Yeah, it's, it's pretty like sporty. Yeah, that's... that's... There's definitely something to be talked about, like actual experiences and what real life is, and it's all available as well. So let's not forget about that. I think that's a good that, message that's to what remember. We were mentioning earlier, let's not make real life so boring that people only spend time on their computer typing on keyboards, because yeah. that's also a big difference of the metaverse and real life. At the end of the day, there is the tactile experience of real life. The, and the oxytocin, because we can release dopamine and serotonin through video games. But oxytocin, you get a hug, you get to have physical contact, you have to feel close from someone. And it's a key chemical in human happiness as well. Absolutely. I think. Talking about happiness. Yeah, and I think Niantic had a really nice. Um statement I, I i thought it was really great that they actually put out a statement saying that um the metaverse cannot replace this place and it, it shouldn't be treated so that it's a better place than this world because we need to fix this world first and let's make that by also creating games that are integrating this world and looking at what they are launching now like dropping music into real life places you can start collecting way more than just pokemon go type of things this is a great way to integrate real physical places. Like how fun it is that all these kids are like doing um, car rides in the summer with their parents to different towns just to pick up Pokemons. 
they never wanted to do this before. It was like the most boring thing. Like, oh no, mom, let's not go to that town to look at some statues. Now they're like, yes, let's go look at the statue. And while we are there, we might actually even read what the statue is about and a bit of history. Maybe it's an opportunity to talk about architecture, all that. So I, I really love their attitude of let's add an additional layer to this world and make this place a bit better. And great, great future to have for that the spark. Yeah, to have that spark moment, that gateway. It might even be the surprise of how things work and how many things should be fixed and how many problems there are in the world before I get to travel. Up until my age 20, I didn't travel much. And then obviously through the job, I traveled more. I had all these assumptions about these places I had seen on TV. And when you get to them, yeah, of course, there is the monument you had seen on the postcard, but everything around it is completely different than you thought. And life is organized differently. And you're like, oh, and you have this problem? Really? However, you have this delicious thing that I don't know why it's not available in my country. And so you have these ideas of import, export, sharing knowledge, sharing solution. I solve this this way. Oh, it's better than my way. Let's, uh, yeah, Colombia is really good at that, by the way. To take things from other countries, but Colombianizing it, they don't just copy it as it is. They will always add their little Colombian touch of, let's do it cheaper, let's do it faster, let's do it with more colors, <laughs> you know, let's change the spelling of it or the pronunciation of it. But they don't just steal, they reappropriate and add their layer to it. And it it's a good localization technique. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> All right. I think we've covered a whole lot of ground today, as always. When I get to talk to you, we get to space, we get to the metaverse. Where we will go yeah. next? I mean, what, what else is there to explore? I don't know. We'll have to see where the world is moving to next. Must be yeah, maybe, special. Maybe, maybe next time we make it all about planting trees so that uh, we, we rejuvenate this planet that we still need <laughs> to build the metaverse on. Yeah, right. I think there's a couple of really interesting gaming um, initiatives yes. about that now. So I saw there was a new one, the, the Games Forest as well, and the Finnish games industry has been growing a forest. So I think Georg we're on Brosterman. it. Georg Brosterman yeah. from Germany, formerly of Flair Games, Game Influencer. He, that's the project you mentioned. Yeah. Christian Segestrali as well from Super, Super Evil Megacorp. He's doing some things with game founders. And, and, and as you know, Il Mariacola, uh, for, formerly working on the sound and music of Rovio and Angry Birds, he's doing his own game about a planet uh, that's saving the climate. I haven't seen the prototype for a while, but I know he's working on that also, stealth learning and yeah, indeed. And Team Sweeney from yeah. Epic Games bought so much forest land and only with the intent to preserve it. Think I this think is that's awesome. the most amazing. Yeah, I, yeah, I was yeah, so yeah. happy to hear that. He. He, he gave a speech in Finland a couple of years ago and he was just like, wow, this is totally overwhelming. You could, there was an open Q&A and he was just answering any kind of question. It was super, super inspiring. Like, excellent. I'm glad that you're using all our money to a really good cause. 
that's just that's do how it. You should yeah. be. <laughs> and, and I love the just do it mentality. Don't, you know, just buy the land and preserve it. Wonderful. Wonderful. Yeah. He's becoming, that's the kind of things I want, I would like to do if I was a billionaire, which I'm far away from being and never dreamed of being. But if I was, that's the kind of fun I would have in the morning. <laughs> yeah, buy some forest every morning, like, oh, done. What's in yeah. trouble over there? How discussed? <laughs> Save it. Protect it. <laughs> How many people do we need to protect it? Pay them. <laughs> Pay them well. Pay them well. I want them happy. That's, that sounds <laughs> that's good. A good I think that's yeah. the that's the utopia that we are yearning for, right? Yeah. Thank you so much for your time today, Maria. Kitos. Thanks, Pascal. And uh, my pleasure. Every, for everyone at home, patreon.com slash bigkarma to learn more about our community or pay us a cup of coffee. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you for listening. Goodbye, Maria. Have a great evening. Bye-bye. <laughs>